0: Hi, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I am a psychotherapist in Chicago and professor and... do all sorts of other stuff that we don't need to talk about right now. But anyway, I really appreciate you joining us for Conversations with a Wounded Healer. And today's guest is somebody I'm excited to share with you. But before we get to that, just wanted to remind you of a couple things. If you want to connect with me on social media, two great places you can do that. One on Instagram, and you can follow us at Head Heart Therapy, And also on Facebook, we're both Head Heart Therapy and Conversations with a Wounded Healer. So if you search for both of those, you can connect with us there. And if you are a listener and appreciator of this podcast, podcasts aren't cheap. And if you feel so inclined to make a small donation, you can go to Patreon and search for Conversations with a Wounded Healer and find us there. And you can give as little as $1 a month and literally everything that you can give is appreciated. So thank you very much. Dejanice Turner is a master's level clinician who has built her career on the premise of helping others, especially today's youth and young adults. As the founder of Me and the Making Wellness, Dejanice continues to use her gifts and talents to facilitate change for the families served through the organization's three pillars, counseling, coaching, and community outreach. When she's not working, Dejanice wears many other hats, dope daughter, super sister and supportive friend. She spends her time with all these lovely people and enjoying her favorite things, traveling, binge watching TV, listening to music and playing puzzle games. So I really hope that our conversation will move you and I hope you enjoy listening. So thanks so much for tuning in. Dejanice, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on short notice. We just <laughs> started communicating with each other and I really appreciate your your willingness and your interest in being here. Yes, no problem at all. Yeah. Would you please introduce yourself to the listeners so that they
1: know more about you? Okay. So I am Dejanice Turner. I'm the founder of Me and the Making Wellness, which is a, I like to call it like a boutique type therapy and wellness space on the south side of Chicago, of course, where we provide services to the family, to the entire family. So therapy services, both individual and family sessions, as well as support groups and community outreach. And we provide most of our services at a affordable cost for families. That's awesome. I really want to hear
0: more about that for sure. And I also really want to just know more about you. Like what led you to decide you are opening up a not for profit? Okay. <laughs> how did you how did you get here and start wherever you want? I love the whole journey. So if you want okay. to start with day was
1: born, but wherever you want to go. Well, of course I was born, right? (laughs) But nothing too fascinating about that part. In all honesty, I come from a pretty big family and Mm -hmm. various things have happened throughout life in a big family. And it was probably more so just me trying to figure out why people did the things that they did, truthfully. like I was that person, like, why are you doing that? And stuff like that. So for as long as I can remember, my like go to as far as like, what are you going to do when you become an adult was I was going to be a child psychologist. Hmm. At what age did you recognize that? Maybe like seventh or eighth grade is what, as far back as I can remember. course at that time I did not know the intricate details of being a child psychologist (laughs) so yeah I can go back and think like me and some of my very close friends had this grand idea that we were going to have this business because all of us wanted to work with kids on different levels and we were going to have a psychologist and a doctor and some other thing and we were just all going to work together so that was pretty young in elementary school (laughs) as years went on it just kind of gathered into, all right, I'm gonna go to school for psychology. And so I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, then I figured out I needed to get a master's degree. So I did that. And then when they said, Nope, you need a doctorate degree. I was like, Yeah, no, I'm not gonna do that. So I stopped.
0: You're a counselor, right? Not a social yes. worker? Because I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a social worker.
1: All right, fine. We don't have to fight about it. <laughs> yes. So I got my degree in um, community mm-hmm. counseling. And Much of my career has been in nonprofit world. I've worked in the social services now for 10 years, case management, the therapy piece of it, DCFS realm type stuff. So I've kind of just seen what all of those pieces look like and figured, you know, I should do something a little bit different, but it still ended up being nonprofit. It wasn't supposed to start that way, though. That was kind of happenstance. (laughs)
0: You just happened to open a (laughs) not-for-profit.
1: I did. It was not not like that was the goal. Mm -hmm. When I first started Me in the making. it was that I wanted to do a girls group. I just wanted Mm -hmm. to do some work with some teenage girls. And yeah, through that, it was like, as I was going other things, it's like, no, I still need to do this part. And we still need to work on this piece too. And it's just kind of grown from there.
0: Mm -hmm. How old is the company?
1: I started with just my girls group in 2015. So that's a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: You're just a year younger than my company, Head Heart. Okay. Yeah, I started in 2014. (laughs) That's great. And I'm curious, are the people that you're running
1: it with, are those your friends that you wanted to start it with? It's not, which is so funny. They did not go into the kid realm like we discussed. Well, one of them did. She's a teacher, but everybody Mm -hmm. did. They went different ways. Wow. But Yeah. That's so cool. I want to talk
0: more about you now. How many kids in your family? You said a big family.
1: I have five siblings, but we come from a very large extended extended. family. My grandmother had 11 children. So it's a lot of us.
0: Oh, my. I'm just curious. Like, you said that you were always questioning, like, why are people doing what they're doing? Like, what Mm -hmm. what were you seeing? What were you, if you were struggling with anything, that you were like, what the fuck is happening? Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I think a little bit of everything. So I wouldn't say that I had like some horrible upbringing because mm-hmm. I didn't, mm-hmm. but I've definitely saw things. There've been people in my family who had addictions to various things, seeing how that kind of plays out and how the family manages that. Um, yeah. was always kind of interesting to me. Even today, it still kind of boggles me. So that was, that was probably one of the biggest things is kind of questioning that. And I think just that being a baseline for some of the things that have happened over time yeah. and how everything and people have grown and how it's played out in people's mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same,
0: same addiction in the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And it's, there's something, at least my experience was there was just a lot of gaslighting, like mm-hmm. everything's fine. Right. There's no need, you know, there's no need to be sad or anxious or whatever. And that I just found, Still to this day, when people don't name what's happening, it makes me feel
1: so incredibly crazy. Mm -hmm. Do you relate to that at all? A little bit. I'm really big on like not sweeping it under the rug. That's a lot of what I see, both from a personal experience and from just like culturally and how things happen. So Mm -hmm. I'm really big on like, nope, let's just call a spade a spade and let's deal Mm -hmm. with it and move on versus Mm -hmm. we'll just act like it doesn't exist.
0: Right, right. Mm -hmm. And it really is so traumatizing to be part of, even though, like you said, I I also, same, like I didn't come from a quote unquote bad family Mm -hmm. in any way, but it's traumatic to not have people name the experience to not match what you're feeling and what you're seeing and validate that that's true. Yeah, Yeah, it can
1: be rough. I can kind of go back to different things. And I guess because from the outside looking in, it wasn't that I was personally affected by the addictions that happened in my family or they weren't like directly in correlation Mm -hmm. to my personal Mm -hmm. upbringing, but the effects that it had on my family and what that looked like. So I am the oldest on both sides of my family. I'm the oldest grandchild. Oh, Um, shit. Yeah. So what kind of all of those pieces look like? And, you know, when you have other people looking at you and trying to figure out their own stuff, some interesting dynamics, I would say. Right. And there's something about also being the oldest female,
0: because the oldest male doesn't have to do all the emotional labor that the oldest female has to
1: do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what? I never thought about it that way, but you're on to something. Yeah.
0: I'm not the oldest female. My my cousin is. And I always tell her, like, I'm so sorry that this is your job because you're the oldest. Like, let me know if you need help. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, of course, grandma's going to call you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we just figured that that was just that way because I'm just the oldest. But yeah. Right. And now now you got me thinking about like my younger cousins and stuff. Like, no, they don't really do all this mm-hmm.
0: stuff. With them. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah.
1: And there's so many of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. How many cousins do you have? I have. Five first cousins, I don't even count the number of second cousins I have. I don't know. It's a lot. Yeah. Big families scare the shit out of me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Gotta be honest. Yeah. Well, tell us more about like, you know, I hear this, this desire to work with young girls and it almost sounds like, I mean, I I feel similarly about my, my company. It's almost kind of like when you start off on the path that you're supposed to be on, it just kind of happens, Mm-hmm. But I'd love to hear I'm obviously there's passion about working with this population. So I'd really love to hear your, your passion, like what you really want for these, these young people that you that you encounter.
1: Absolutely. My biggest thing, truthfully, is making sure that people have, teenagers specifically, have the tools that they need to move on. So one Mm -hmm. of the places that I worked when I first started out in social services, I worked with teens, but the bigger population was teen girls. And it was about them emancipating from from DCFS care. Oh, wow. I was only a few years older than some of my clients. Wow. So at 22 and 23 for myself, I had 20-year-old clients who were parenting, some with Mm. multiple kids, and I remember very vividly all of these years later on someone's 21st birthday, dropping them off at a shelter, and that was probably one of the most heart-wrenching experiences I've ever had because it was like there was nothing I could do to change that situation. And it's just like knowing that they did not have all the right skills or they weren't equipped with all the things that they needed Mm -hmm. to be able to go out and be a successful adult at 21. I mean, again, even for me, I don't think my life was bad, but at 21, I wasn't ready to go out and be a successful adult. I still call on my parents now for certain things. So that's been my biggest plight is like making sure that, that people have what they need to have. And I know we can't give you everything and I know you have to put in some work, but at least giving you the direction that you need.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear. And obviously, you know, as therapists, we don't like to tell too many details about client stories, but I'm curious if you do have any, any stories that really touch your heart that you'd be able to
1: share with listeners. I mean, I have a lot, but probably the biggest one and and they probably don't care that I talk about them. Um, <laughs> is, again, I, I started off as a case manager. So the relationships that I had with people were a little different than the therapy relationship. For sure. So one of my clients, I remember she came in and she was like 17 and her experiences with being in DCFS care were were much different because she had lived with family her entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, And now she was coming and not living with her family. She was coming and moving into this very non-traditional space And afterwards, of course, we joked a lot about she always had an attitude. She always just always mad about something. Mm. Uh, She would come to my office and she would sit down and just always an attitude. She finally kind of got out of some of that and was able to kind of talk about things that were going on with her. And she emancipated, of course, at 21 and was doing well for herself Luckily she's actually a client that I still keep in contact with to this day. And she she's doing really, really well. She's had some hiccups along the way and she gets attitudes sometimes, <laughs> but she has definitely grown and you've You can see the growth. And so Mm -hmm. now we do joke a lot about how she would come in. Either she was always mad or she would cry, one or the other. Mm. Now she can have those conversations. Even when she was getting closer to 21, she could have those conversations and she can do some of the work. And she had a lot of the skills that she needed and able to tell you what she needed. Because that was also a thing for her is that she didn't speak up for herself a lot. So she was Mm -hmm. able to tell you what she needed, which was great and now she has a child and they're they're doing great. Well I mean all the things you say
0: make so much sense right if a child doesn't have their needs met in childhood which I'm just going to stereotype that a DCFS ward probably yeah. did not get their needs met right like right? how would you learn to ask mm-hmm. for what you need. How would you, I mean, you would base, you would learn the opposite. You would learn that you don't ask for what you need because needs are not going to be met. Whether it's, you know, something that the parents just literally can't provide because it's like not enough money or housing right. or what, but then also too emotionally if the parents can't provide it, right? So mm-hmm. that's wonderful that, that she was able to develop that out of your
1: relationship with her. Yeah, they would joke a lot and say she was my baby.
0: <laughs> really? Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. I mean, the clients often are, right? Even if it's, it's not a therapy client.
1: Yeah, I tell people all the time it's like they ask me, um, I don't have any children of my own, so people ask like do I want kids or how many kids I have cuz they make that presumption. I'm like, I have a lot of kids. Exactly. <laughs>
0: mhm. Mm-hmm. I feel that way about running the business. Like mm-hmm. not only are my clients my kids, but so are my staff.
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. So how do you feel about the term healer in relation to what you do?
1: You know, honestly, I had not thought about it until I saw your email. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. And so it gave me reason to think about it, of course. And I guess I can identify with being a healer um, to a certain extent, right? When I thought about it, it was more so like, okay, people come to come to us because they're in need of something. And mm-hmm. the irony is that I guess I always try to have clients rationalize seeing therapy in the same token as they would see like their medical doctor. Yeah. But I yeah. never thought about healer. <laughs>
0: Well, I don't want to stereotype here, but just guessing that because you are working primarily with the Black community, that that Mm -hmm. really is a a barrier, right? Like, what are some of the things that you hear from people about why they don't want to see a therapist?
1: (laughs) You hear various things. Of course, we hear the you know people being in my business deal. That's probably the yeah. most of it, or just a lot of the things that are around the stigma of mental health in the black community. Mm-hmm. So that for the most part is about people not wanting to share their information or feeling being vulnerable with someone mm-hmm. else, or even having even understanding that they would have to be vulnerable with right. someone about what's going on with them outside of that, like for those who, you know, I deal with clients on various like financial spaces. So Mm -hmm. you have those clients who they don't seek services based upon their inability to do so, right? Right. Not that they don't necessarily Mm -hmm. want them or understand them, but they just don't have the resources to do it. So that's a huge thing as well.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like the stigma has shifted at all? Because I feel like, just in, in general, it seems younger people nowadays are more apt to go to therapy than, than even my generation. I don't know how old you are. But I'm 40, I'm in my 40s. So mm-hmm. even I have some friends who are like, therapy, what? But mm-hmm. like millennials are fucking into it, right? Are you yeah. even seeing the shift in the black community too?
1: Absolutely. My biggest population is millennials. And for Mm. me, that's a a specialized area. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm used to that. But I'll get like millennials, I'll get teenagers, but I can count on my hands how many clients I have that are over 35. It is a huge shift where millennials and teens are able to kind of come in and acknowledge that they need the help. I get so many young kids whose parents bring them in And the kid has asked for it. Not that the parents necessarily were thinking about
0: it. The kid asked. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's really cool to hear.
1: Yeah.
0: And along the lines of healing, you said earlier that the initial vision for this was to, you know, have all these different components and and I looked on your website and you do offer different things that are really more holistically minded, right? So Mm -hmm. do you want to share some of the
1: offerings that you have? Absolutely. So Of course, the therapy piece of it, but we did. We had to kind of figure out like, okay, we can do something on this part, but there are all these other pieces that go into getting the wellness that you need, right? Mm -hmm. So we offer support groups. Every summer, we do a a 10-week group for girls from fifth grade all the way through 12th grade, Mm -hmm. and it's like a life skills slash enrichment group where we do different subject matters every week during that time frame. So that's probably our biggest go-to, but they're also offering the community support. So we've done like warming baskets for the homeless community. We do book bag giveaways and we sponsor Mm -hmm. outside of COVID this year. Of course, we sponsor (laughs) a a team for a prom each year and we do a trunk party for a kid that's going away to college each year. Mm -hmm. So we try our best to kind of help with all of the needs, not just, you know, the mental health portion.
0: Right. Like I remember when I was working with youth the the wraparound services, mm-hmm. the wraparound grants were so fucking important and yeah. It's so interesting too. like now working in the quote unquote, for profit, you know, private practice, I still have clients who need that wraparound service. Mm. And there's nothing for adults. There's nothing, you know, so thank God, like, well, at least we have it for the teens. But I, I just, I wish that we could really shift our cultural understanding of how necessary so many different facets of mental health support are.
1: Yeah, I think people struggle with that. And and mm-hmm. I guess that's probably where I'm the biggest advocate is that I tell clients all the time, like therapy is 50 minutes once a week. Right. Mm-hmm. There We mm-hmm. can talk about a lot. We can process a lot and you can go and be great. But truthfully, there's all of these other things that need to happen in order for us to see real change. And so we try to be that support person. For a lot of my clients, probably their go-to is not that traditional therapy where you can only talk to me during that session time. Probably people text my phone more than they think they do. Right, um, right. But I get it. You need to have other supports put in place as well.
0: Right. How are your clients right now? Right. Like, I just want to acknowledge where we are in time. This is we're recording this June of 2020, right at the height of Mm -hmm. all the protests that have happened after George Floyd's murder. So how how are they? And, you know, how I I hate to ask how you are, because I just feel like it's such a it's almost a stupid question right now. But, you know, whatever you want to say around that.
1: It's a check in. So. For myself, today is actually a better day. I would say that. Today is a better day. Last week was really, really rough. It was, as you know, of course, it was a lot going on. And I'm here in Chicago and there was a lot just happening locally as well. So it was heavy last week. Today, I feel a little bit better. You know, things are lifting. We're moving in phases and stuff like that. So I'm hopeful today. As far as clients again, a really rough week last week for clients. So it was a lot to kind of process those things and kind of what was going on with protesting. And I know some of my clients kind of spoke to the heaviness of what it looked like just looking outside their windows because they're in neighborhoods that things were, you know, people were rioting in and the Mm -hmm. community was being destroyed in. So It was a lot to handle. And I think my biggest thing was having people just take it day by day and being hopeful that although things looked negative for certain people, the purpose behind it, of course, was greater and that we would get somewhere with it.
0: Right. I am really, really curious to see what Chicago ends up doing. Right. We know now, I think just was it today that Minneapolis decided they're defunding the police? So (laughs) yes. I'm very curious to see how our Black mayor is going to respond to this, right?
1: Yes, I am hopeful that things will change. I'm I'm one of those people that's like hopeful, but realistic at right. the same time. So same. we'll see. I'm in, kind of in the middle. <laughs> yeah. We'll,
0: see. well, and how do you take
1: care of yourself? Mm, that's great. I like to tell myself that... I do self-care, but in my very <laughs> honest I, I, moment, I know, I know that it's talking. not the greatest. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not the greatest at it. I think lately it has not been great at all. So I've done nothing lately, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I generally would try. I would say I have a very good support group, my friends, my family. Mm-hmm. So I'm generally able to kind of just debrief and, and move on from things, mm-hmm. but not so much lately with everything that is happening. Right. So I kind of just play video games and go to sleep.
0: <laughs> well, that's self-care, right? Like right. play and rest is self-care. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So don't sell yourself short. Yeah, I guess not, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I always think like you should be doing something else. Generally, most of the time I try to travel. So I'm I'm hopeful mm-hmm. that I can get back to bed at some point in the near future. <laughs>
0: I, you will not have me setting foot on a plane anytime soon. Uh <laughs> huh. Yeah, you
1: know, I'm I'm trying to debate like how risky do I really want to be because I feel yeah. like. You know, you got to take a risk at some point. So mm-hmm,
0: that's kind mm-hmm.
1: of the questions I'm asking myself is like, okay, so what risk are right. you willing to take right now? Right.
0: Yeah, that's exactly like I, I saw something on Facebook that was talking about the different levels of, of risk. And okay. I am at the very low level. <laughs> so i must stay there, I'm going to stay in my house. You have fun going where you're gonna go. I wish you well. I wish you health and safety. I wanted to, to go back to the, the self-care piece too, because something that it's so aligned with white supremacy, individualism to say self-care is the, is the mm-hmm. fix, right? When mm-hmm. really we need structural care, we need community care. We need to heal together. Yes, absolutely. Right? So, and you mm-hmm. mentioned that you've got a really great support system, but that's what you're providing at Me in the Making is you are providing that community care.
1: Yeah, actually we do because we we have to look at what we need as a whole, right? It's not just that one piece. I, it's so funny. I was mm-hmm. having the conversation in, in regards to what's happening right now right. and saying, how, you know, all of these different pieces have to work together in order yes. for there to be, something to change. And, and that is kind of how we have to look at it on even at our individual levels is that, yeah, I can mm-hmm. do as much as I can do for myself, but I still need all of this other stuff to work itself out as well.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Because even if I, you know, work out and I take a bubble bath and I go on a walk and I do yoga, if I do all these things, none of us can escape the, the, it's like a thickness in the air right now. Mm-hmm. The, the heaviness, the weight of everything, yeah. and yeah. no, nobody, no amount of bubble baths are going to take care of that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I've last week was the thing. Like, okay, like we have to get off of social media right now. I mm-hmm. cannot turn on CNN right now. Like, mm-hmm. I can't can't do any of those things. And I guess that the basics of it there that is self care in yes, that moment. Is. And just being able to communicate that with other people, but also having to kind of go backwards because just a few weeks ago, we were telling our clients and telling people in our space, like, utilize social media so you can connect with everybody um, because you're stuck at home. So it is a very fine line in a lot of the things that we do and and how we Mm -hmm. utilize those things. But to say that we don't recognize that there is something out there and we are in a space that most of us have never in life been in, I think it's not needed to be said. Right.
0: I mean, I will punch the next person in the face who says the word unprecedented to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's gotta be another word. I agree that we've had a, i've heard unprecedented enough i've probably heard like nobody has ever lived through this before and it's like no there are people alive right now that have definitely lived through similar experiences
0: Mm so i was reading a book called the fourth turning and i'm like into the woo woo spiritual shit it's not spiritual at all but it feels very spiritual because the guy basically can predict the future based on history and essentially there there's one cycle that we go through but like four phases of the cycle and this is we're at the most destructive part of the cycle where everything gets broken down and this the book was written when i was like graduating in 1997 and he predicted all of this and it's like holy fuck this shit is predictable and that actually that gives me a little bit of peace that maybe maybe no one in our lifetime has been through quite something like this, but a hundred years ago they were. And it, it, it the cycles are about every like eighty to a hundred years.
1: Yeah. It's it's funny. So I had a death in my family last week in the midst of kind of all of oh, this. Oh my god. But it was my great grandmother and and oh, wow. it's like That was a a major thing, but, you know, I look at kind of the bright side of it. My great-grandmother was 93. So how many people are walking around saying their grandmother, who is 93, was here for, like, the pandemic? And she had a birthday back in April, and we did, like, the drive-by birthday thing for her. Oh, you did. (laughs) And it was like, Mm -hmm. that was her first time experience. You know, that was all of our first time doing something like that. But she was able to experience some of this. We kind of joke and say like she got to leave the rest of this stuff behind her. So she doesn't see the rioting and all of those things. But to know the lifespans and how how there are people still here that have seen some of these pieces.
0: Wow. Did she impart any like wisdom with you and your family about what was happening right now? Or or, or, I don't know if she was like sick and not.
1: No, she wasn't sick, but she had dementia. Well, I guess sick, sort of. So to know what was actively going on in this moment, no.
0: no. Mm, oh, goodness. Because, yeah, I that, I could only imagine being alive 100 years ago when, because what was, I can't remember what the trigger they said was. It wasn't the stock market crash, but it was something around that time, right? And then I don't know if you've seen any of the documentaries about the 1913 Spanish flu pandemic no that also ironically gave me so much comfort because the exact same shit was happening then as is happening now where people were like oh this isn't a big deal and we're just gonna be cool and people fighting about whether it's real or not like it's same shit different day
1: yeah Yeah, I guess I'm one of those people that just kind of feel like the world just goes in rotation Mm -hmm. right so we experienced Things happen in rotation. I, I often say it's the same as our clothes, right? So <laughs> you're a bit of bottoms at one point. I love sure they come back in style at it. some point. They so, do. So it's kind of the same mm-hmm. and, you know, different people just experience it at different times. So I'm actually like for COVID stuff, I was probably one of those people at first. It was like, yeah, it's not as big of a deal as they say it is. And I remember sitting at work talking to a, a coworker like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it'll be okay. And then we got this thing like, okay, now you're going to work from home because now you can't be around people. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. Then I started actually paying attention to what was happening. And I'm like, okay, so it is real. It is a big deal. Yeah. But like, do we have to sit in the house for forever? And now I'm okay mm-hmm. with sitting in the house. I'm like, sure. I don't want to go outside. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Even for just my personal self and how that transitioned from the very beginning to now. I'm like, yep, I'll sit here. That's okay with me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know
0: why this just came to me right now. Did you go to the protests this weekend at all? No.
1: Unfortunately, I know that that's not my lane. I am staying
0: in the house.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's not my lane. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely here to support. On In in my lane, I'm really vocal about, you know, you know what your area of expertise is and that's not mine. So I have definitely supported in other ways um, Mm -hmm. over the past couple of days. And I'm here for, you know, the people who need to kind of debrief after they are at those rallies and Mm -hmm. the protests and how they're feeling about it. So, yeah,
0: some of my staff were feeling bad that they didn't go out. And I was like, we're holding people up right now. We're an invisible front line, I think, yeah. mental health workers, right? Because the medical people are the visible front line, but we're right next to them supporting yeah. people through this. So, yeah, so we have to keep ourselves healthy and safe.
1: Yeah, I, I tell people a lot that not recognizing how much all of this takes a toll on your mental health is a big things to have all of these different things happening at one time Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. such a huge toll. I was already a person that voiced my opinion about how much trauma and how much, PTSD is such a relevant thing right now Mm -hmm. um, because of what we have access to, like who watches people get murdered on video multiple times. And because we have that type of access to things, PTSD is like at an all time high. Right. So now we're dealing with those things and like the things that are right here in our faces. Mm -hmm. And we have to know that it takes a toll on us just emotionally. Last week, a lot of what I heard from people was just being tired and being sad. And even for myself, it was just like, I was just exhausted. No particular reason, just exhausted. Mm -hmm. And knowing that all of this takes a toll on us. All of it takes a toll on us. So dealing with mental health and having us as, you know, our invisible frontliners is imperative. And I can't use all of that energy over here in some other area because then I won't have it to give when I need to.
0: Right. And the thing I said to three of my staff members today too, is that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. Well,
1: how do you feel about the term uh, wounded healer? I think that that is actually pretty powerful. Immediately, my thought goes to, in order to help somebody else, I have to have experienced something myself. And it may not look like other people's stuff. Like I said at the beginning, I didn't have like a horrible childhood, but it wasn't like, Mm -hmm. you know, peaches and cream either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my experiences have shaped me Mm -hmm. into who I am and I can advocate and I could be there for other people based upon the experiences that I've had. tell people all the time, it's so much less about the book stuff. Yes. Right. About the other pieces, like Mm -hmm. the book stuff is great. It gives you like direction, but it's less about the book stuff. So I think those experiences and and having those wounds shapes you, but also lets the next person know that they can heal from their wounds. So that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've certainly found myself that it's difficult to take clients through Obviously, we can't go through every single experience that our clients have. But if we've been rocked by core emotions like grief and fear and all of these things, then we can at least we can at least relate on that level. Mm
1: -hmm. It's harder to identify and have, I feel like, the necessary regard. And again, you can Mm -hmm. have it because. I have the skill set to have it, but to have that right. unconditional regard for experiences that I've never been through is that is difficult. And I think a lot of that kind of plays on some of the things that we're dealing with right now with race. I've seen a lot of you the know. different things about how people understand it or those that don't understand it. And right. you know, just having the outlook that our experience is shaped that right? What I've experienced is what I've experienced, what I've been through shapes kind of what my understanding of things are just on a personal level.
0: Yeah. And as you're saying that I'm I'm almost thinking because we were both in agreement, like yes, like our personal experiences are almost more important than what's in the books. But when it comes to race, for white people, they need to go to the fucking books because there literally is no way, right? We can understand?
1: Yeah, and and that is that's a very hard space to be in, right? So yeah. yes, there's there's books out here that can tell you, but I'm one of those proponents that there's some great books out here, but there's some not so great books out here as well, yeah, and yeah. so which books do you read, right? mm-hmm, Which, which mm-hmm. books are there for you to actually know what that truly looks like. And so you'll get a very subjective experience from a book, but you will have a baseline of what it looks like. I would hope that for people who are struggling with what racism is and what it looks like, find somebody that they can talk to about it and, and mm-hmm. figure it out from there. But definitely, yeah, use the books for the directional piece of it
0: hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's I've had so many conversations this week, and I'm so grateful for it where either it's clients or staff members or friends, people reaching out and saying like, fuck, I wish I would have started this work before this and I feel guilty and I feel bad. And again, I'm just kind of going back to all right, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you've you've entered the race now. Mhm. Right? Like yeah. before you weren't even considering running a marathon and now here you are tying up your shoes and you're ready to go. So I'm seeing more people ask for help in that arena, which I think is hopeful.
1: Yeah, I think that that's great. I am, again, that person that's realistic and and optimistic Mm -hmm. at the same Mm -hmm. time. So I definitely see where a lot of people will have some genuine concern and want to kind of get some things rolling and are willing to to put forth some effort and energy into it. And hopefully they can continue that marathon, right? Hopefully it stays in that direction. We all have to do our pieces in order for it all to work out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you really want to make sure
1: listeners know? My biggest thing is in this moment, people taking the time to care for themselves, no matter what that looks mm-hmm. like. Of course, mm-hmm. I think therapy is like the greatest thing ever. Yes. Uh, it's, you know, I get that that's not everybody's thing. I tell people that for me, therapy is not, That very traditional, what they see on TV. Like, I don't sit in front of you with a pen and a pad. And say, tell me how you feel about that. We we have a conversation because one of my very big thoughts is that therapy is just a conversation, right? I don't want people to feel intimidated by having to come to therapy. And the biggest thing about making sure, especially within the black community or minority communities in general, just knowing that that doesn't make you crazy. Someone asked me the other day at the coffee event, does the therapist go to therapy? Like, do you go to therapy? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you got to talk to somebody like, nice. you know, how much stuff I bring in on mm-hmm. a daily basis. So knowing that we're people too, and I don't have all the answers and right. my job is just to kind of support you through this journey and I do it as best as I can. Yeah. Well, would you share with listeners where, where they can find you? Absolutely. So my website is me in Instagram and Facebook is where we normally are. Both are me in the making NP for nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So that's our handle for everything. I pretty much think at this point, you can just Google me in the making and we pop up mm-hmm. and My website, I'll have a a Dejanice.com website that should be up by the end of this week. So you'll be able to access me there as well.
0: Oh, fabulous. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I know before we even started this, I was just like, now is a crazy time. So thank you for, for showing up right now. No problem. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode and listening to Dejanise and my conversation. If you'd like to learn more about Dejanise or Me in the Making Wellness or donate to Me in the Making Wellness, you can visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com/podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time. Bye-bye.